Who ate the first mushroom? Did you ever wonder that? Like, were they desperate? Did they lose a bet? Were they camping and wondered what that slimy, off-colored little nub popping out of the ground would taste like? Maybe they're just sick and tired of beans. How brave were they? And what about the person who ate the first tomato? Or who, who bit into the first raw potato and thought it was good? And eggs. Don't even get me started on eggs. Imagine somebody saying, hey, pass me that white ball that fell out of that chicken's bum. I'm going to eat that. I'd love to know the story behind these brave firsts. I do find a little satisfaction in knowing that in 1945, Percy Spencer was playing around with a radar kit he developed in a home lab, and he noticed that the chocolate bar melted in his shirt pocket. That was the meaningless consequences of an experiment. Until Percy Spencer got thinking bigger than his circumstances. He got thinking of potential, and the microwave oven was born. And so was dry cleaning. Ever wonder who invented the wheel? You know, we take for granted the complexity of a perfect circle. Who thought of fire or boiling, cooking? These ideas revolutionized civilization. But even more, I think they model something quite divine for us. Meaning. When you think about human civilizations and our development, it's amazing how we've advanced. How we've learned to build on the knowledge of those who've gone before us. Wisdom has been passed on and expanded. Someone was able to see the potential in a pile of nothing. They recognized that they could sift through the rocks and minerals and divide it up and melt it down and purify it. Mixing different elements together to make compounds stronger and more durable. Like dirt. We filter out the iron and ore and... We purify it to make steel. We do the same with silver and gold. It's just incredible that over time, we've been able to learn to create such amazing things from, well, nothing. Dirt. A bridge. A skyscraper. A car. A house. The chair you're sitting in. The clothes you're wearing, all made from the dust of the earth. Because somebody had an idea that the plants, the wood, the dirt, could be more. They took the raw, meaningless materials and they made them meaningful. Maybe it would first help if we renegotiate the understanding of meaninglessness. When I'm using the term this morning, I'm not implying useless. I'm instead implying pure, untapped potential. And here's where science meets religion. They catch up to each other. Everything lies in a state of pure potential. Quantum physics labels this as superposition. What lies between what appears to be and the potential of what it can become. Intention, observation seem to influence all that is, according to science. Why I find this so interesting is this is the bedrock of faith. Let's read together the ancient story found in Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the water, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. In the beginning, God took a formless void, literally meaningless earth, without much shape and function, and created something with it, from it, out of it in it, on it. God imbued meaning 
into something that was up to that point only pure potential. It was clay in the potter's hands. It was a blank canvas. And God set intention and observation and created. And creation was formed in a word, light. I heard, I heard someone once say of this story, it's too beautiful not to be true, whether or not it happened. There is a beauty in that first verse that has been repeated since the dawn of time. I believe so. God makes meaningful things out of dust. God creates ex nihilo, out of nothing, or out of something that seems like nothing. Genesis 1 uh, verse 26 says that God speaks again after creating form and meaning from the void. And the divine says, let us make man in our image, after our likeness. Verse 27 says, so God created mankind in the divine image, in the image of God were they created. Wow. Think about that. This has puzzled readers and theologians for thousands of years. What does it mean? What part of us looks like God? Where is this image seen in us? I have an idea. The idea comes from the first verse again, that God creates out of nothing. And to the nothingness, God imbues meaning and purpose. I think that this, that the image he fashions in us as his creation is the ability to create with him. He has given us the ability to co-create with him, to create something from nothing. It's this incredible gift that we have. What if it's a divine gift? What if this is the divine image of God? Now, I wonder about this because it's what we've been doing. We have cars, we have buildings because we made something from nothing. We have bread and language because we make something from nothing. We, we take meaningless commodities, we mix them together in the right way, in the right quantities, and we create something beautifully satisfying. These items by themselves aren't necessarily meaningful, at least to us. Flowers, plants, soil, maybe to the bees and the insects, but the meaning is first cultivated in our hearts and our minds. Then it's imbued into these objects and raw commodities. But there's more. This might not seem incredible or revolutionary because many of us aren't amazed anymore about the ability to create food or aluminum or technology, to manufacture, to design, to create, but think about it. This has transformed us as a species, and I think buried in this is obviously the ability, it is so profound that I think it needs our attention for a moment. Let me tell you how I got thinking about the image of God in us being meaning makers and why I think it matters. Part of this thinking stems from the often misunderstood idea found in religious circles that everything happens for a reason. The answer is, is satisfying if the impetus is good news. My dad's stage four cancer spontaneously went into remission because he got a bacterial infection in his incision that miraculously saved his life. Everything happens for a reason. Beautiful. But it isn't as satisfying when my wife becomes a paraplegic because of an unknown autoimmune disease. Everything happens for a reason. Terrifying. Let's distinguish for a moment the difference between reason and a cause. Medically, we can understand both my father's remission and my wife's paraplegia by their biological causes. But that's not the same as reason. There's a difference between a cause and a reason. What if everything has a cause, but not everything has a reason? And what if we're invited to also give it a reason, which makes it meaningful? 
What if that's part of our divine invitation to reflect the nature of God? We are created in some way reflecting God's image, His likeness. The invitation is to participate with God as meaning makers, to reflect something so beautiful. My conviction is that if people of faith understood their ability, their spirituality like this, we would take serious our role in the world. If, if people of faith understood their spirituality like this, we would take serious our role in the world. In the Genesis account, it's interesting that God makes mankind out of the dust of the earth, imbues them with meaning to be the image of God in the physical world. Now, we don't know how, but man then is given dominion over the earth, it says in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Now, that word dominion is about understanding the earth's rhythms. It's about stewardship. It's about care. It's not about exploitation. Man is then told to tend the garden, to give it shape, to work it, to manage it. Man is then instructed to look at all of God's creation and to name it. What an incredible gift to name the nameless. This is to offer it meaning. They are given the garden to work, to understand, to shape, and to name that which does not have a name. It's so obvious and beautiful, we are invited to participate in the continued creation of the world. And likewise, in the redemption of all things. Redemption is all about making meaninglessness meaningful. About speaking light into the darkness. We are to reflect the image of God. We are to reflect the image that we're created in. And what if this is part of how we do it? I find this important because too many people of faith don't recognize their role in this divine task. Terrible things happen, and they are analyzing the circumstances, trying to figure out how this is all supposed to be something good, disguised as tragedy or sickness or loss. But once again, these experiences are the raw commodities of human existence. If you are alive, you will experience a full spectrum of emotion in life. You will grieve. You will hunger. You will be afraid. And you will also experience joy and pleasure and satisfaction and hope. A good life isn't only some of those things. A good life is the culmination of all of them. Each alone are meaningless, but added to the full spectrum they shape, the full experience of, of a life lived. Baking is a great example of this. Flour, sugar, salt, yeast, milk, eggs. By themselves, some of them are sweet, some of them are bitter. But without them all, you don't have bread. You don't have cake. You don't have donuts. The meaning happens when somebody has the vision of combining them together in the right quantities in the right way to produce something altogether greater than the sum total of their individual parts. But when bread is something you pick up at 7-Eleven, it's easy to forget its magic. When we no longer create things, we forget the divine, the divine gift that God has given us to be co-creators with Him. I've learned so much about God from being a part of this faith community over the years. I've seen the image of God reflected in your stories and in your words, and it has encouraged me. Even as I have searched uh, for God's image in my own circumstances. You see, people who don't have faith often misunderstand or don't see the divine image in their life at all. And I have those conversations all the time with people. 
For many who've experienced trauma, the circumstances are absolutely meaningless. The stories I hear from people in the military about senseless killing and meaningless pain is unbelievable. From those in policing, they tell me story after story of people in the wrong place at the wrong time. From first responders, I hear them tell me the same story. They look at me and they ask, how can there be a God if so much meaninglessness exists? You see, they're looking for justification. And, you know, they're looking for someone to make sense of some horrific situation that they found themselves in that has now shaped their lives and haunted their sleep. This is where the phrase, everything happens for a reason, just doesn't cut it. They want to know what the reason is. What reason would be good enough for a child to be born with a terrible cancer and only live till five? Or the miscalculation mechanically of a weapon system that kills an entire village of innocent people? Or how, on a long country road, that a man falls asleep at the wheel and just happens to hit the only tree on the side of the road for 10 kilometers? Well, you can say only God knows the reason, and that's supposed to get you off the hook. What the professionals have taught me about treating complex trauma is that we have to accept that meaninglessness, senseless things happen. And there won't be anyone justifying the terrible ways that they've affected you because no defense is good enough. If this intrigues you, listen to Unanswerable from a couple of weeks ago. It's a a message where we dig into this idea further. But Viktor Frankl says that the purpose of life isn't to avoid suffering, but instead to choose meaningful suffering when we can, and to attach meaning to the suffering we didn't choose. I wonder if Victor, who's Jewish, was inspired by this first verse of his sacred scripture in Genesis that maybe helped form his psychotherapy. His He has a whole um, type of psychotherapy called logotherapy, which is about attaching meaning to our circumstances. I wonder if somehow Victor was influenced by this vision of God he reads at the beginning of his scripture. The reason we need to attach meaning to the suffering we experience is because if we don't attach meaning to the senselessness, to the meaningless, to the suffering, then all we have is senseless, meaningless suffering. But if we can attach something else to it, then we've diminished even slightly the negative effects of senselessness, of meaninglessness, of hopelessness. You see, when you take tragedy and suffering and you mix in faith, you get hope. When you take loss and fear and add elements of meaning, you get purpose. And that is what allows the needle to move. Interestingly, this is what faith offers us. Jesus was constantly attaching meaning to discomfort and changing the way we understand everything in this life. His life and death were not meaningless because he filled them with intention. They were meaningful because he wanted them to be. Because he does what he sees his father doing, Jesus will tell us. Creating meaning from meaningless things. Faith is about choosing forward and then often looking backwards with new eyes. It's about recognizing that pure potential lies in everything. Sickness, divorce, pain, loss, all of these things are not pleasant at all. But they're part of the human experience. Without loss, we cannot know love. Without sickness, we truly cannot understand health. Without separation and pain, we truly cannot appreciate connection and wholeness. And these comparisons often can only come in contemplation and retrospect. The potential for creativity and imagination. Life isn't just about living, taking up space, 
Using up oxygen, faith awakens you to the invitation that we have been invited as co-creators with God in this world that he has fashioned. We have a beautiful divine role to play in the redemption of terrible things. And if we take serious our role, to continue God's good work as meaning makers, perhaps people will see God reflected in what we're doing. And it won't just be the earth that looks like heaven. It will be us too. Thank you.